Joseph was a man who passed many tests. He knew from an early age that he was destined to do great things. He loved the Lord and was particularly sensitive to God and to his own father. Because Jacob was close to the Lord and had his own rich experiences with God, there was a natural affinity between Jacob and his son Joseph. Joseph truly was Jacob's special son. But this caused jealousy among his brothers, and so Joseph was sold into slavery. Joseph was tempted many times, but he passed test after test, rather than bringing disgrace on his God. God used Joseph to save the lives of his family, and in the end of all of Egypt and the countries surrounding Egypt. He became a great man, not because he was brilliant, but because he passed the test and was obedient to God. He truly was a man of faith. Welcome to summer school, and this morning we're talking about Joseph, who was born in 1771 B.C. He is the son of Jacob. Jacob is one of the patriarchs, isn't he? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's right. And uh, he became the second most powerful man in Egypt. So that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. You can find the story of Joseph in Genesis chapter 37 to 38. And it's too long. I'm not going to read all these chapters. I'm going to ask you to do that. But before I go any further, I want to tell you that when I was in Bible school, I had a, a wonderful professor. His name was Dr. Carl Merrick. And he said uh, that every time he read this story, it, met, it made him cry. And in fact, it's true because I saw him. Uh, I, I saw many times uh, whenever he talked about Joseph, who was one of his favorite biblical characters, he would really get emotional. And you're going to see why in just a few moments. Joseph was truly an amazing man, a godly man, a man who loved God with all his heart. This story is so intriguing that there have been many paintings, and you're going to see a few here this morning. There's been uh, movies made about it. There's been a great animation by DreamWorks uh, called uh, Joseph, King of Dreams. Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice, they teamed up together, and they produced the Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Let's just take a look at those. Has anybody read that, by, or listened to that, by the way? It's a few honest people. It's not just for kids. I especially like it. Um, and then, of course, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Do you know that this play has been, this, I just read this in uh, Wikipedia, the, you know, that, um, that go-to authority. And uh, they said that this has been put on or produced over 20,000 times by various schools and uh, theater groups. So it's, it's a very inspiring story. It's very intriguing, and I think this morning, I'm praying this morning, that your heart will be challenged and encouraged by the story of Joseph. So let's get on with this story. Joseph, he's the son of Rachel and Jacob. Jacob has actually got two wives, Leah and Rachel, they're, they're sisters, but Joseph is Rachel's first son. She's got a second son by the name of Benjamin. And Joseph is actually the 11th son of, of Jacob. Uh, Jacob's got a half-sister, and he's got uh, 10 half-brothers. 
He was also the favorite of all the sons. Now, I don't know if anybody here today was a favorite child. or if, Any favorite children here? Of all the fa- kids in your family, you were the favorite. Anybody like that? Anybody willing to actually admit that in front of other people? Yes, one or two. I know I was the favorite in my family. Just don't tell my siblings that. Joseph was so favored by his father that his father actually made him a coat, a long coat of many colors. And this picture doesn't really do it justice, I don't think. Of course, I didn't actually see the actual coat. But this coat was very special. It showed Jacob's favor on this son. And this infuriated Joseph's brothers. They, they felt so hurt, so angry, so jealous. I mean, just a whole gamut of emotions. What it came down to is at the end of the day, they couldn't stand the little brat. Really couldn't stand him. And then to make matters worse, Joseph starts having these dreams. And having dreams is I mean, something we all experience, right? Only the kind of dreams that he had just further inflamed his brothers. And so the first dream that Joseph had was uh, of, of him and, and uh, he and his brothers. They were gathering stalks of grain and gathered them up. And he told his brothers this. He said, and after we gathered up the stalks of grain, he said, your stalks of grain bowed down to mine. Now, you can just imagine how the brothers felt. So, so what are you saying, Joseph? What are you saying? Are you saying you're better than us? Are you saying you're better than me? Just imagine this. If you have siblings, you can imagine this very well. And then Joseph has another dream. And this time, the sun, which represents his father, the moon represents his mother, and then all the stars representing his 11 brothers, uh, they all bowed down to Joseph. And Joseph, again, unwisely, tells his brothers, oh, I had another dream, and guess what? You're bowing down to me again because I'm awesome, and you're not. (laughs) In fact, I know I'm awesome. Dad proved it by giving me a nice coat, and you didn't get one. So it just goes to show I'm the best in the family. I'm the brightest, the smartest. I've got the best future. Well, he wasn't too wise. He wasn't too bright in that regard. Well, it inflamed his brothers so bad that these jealous brother, brothers plotted to kill him. And elder brother Reuben, elder, older, older children, older brothers, older sisters, they're, they're really quite different than the rest of the family. They're a little bit more responsible. They know that if anything happens to the younger kids, they're going to get in trouble from dad, right? So he says, he says to the brothers, look, let's not, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in a pit. So they find a sister, an empty sister in a pit, and they throw their brother in there. And Reuben's idea is later he'll come back and pull his brother out of the pit. The brothers have cooled off a little bit. They're not so angry, and he'll bring him home again. But while Reuben wasn't there and wasn't looking, some Egyptian traders came by, some merchants, and the brothers thought, ah, here's our chance to get rid of the little brat. And they sold him to these Egyptian traders. He was sold into slavery. And when Reuben came back to get Joseph, Joseph wasn't in the pit. And now he's having a heart attack. Where is Joseph? And his brothers said to him, here's what happened. And Reuben's like, okay, so guys, what are we going to tell dad? What are we going to say to him? 
So finally they got it in their head that what they would do is they'd kill a goat and take the blood, smear it all over Joseph's coat of many colors, and then we'll present that to Dad and to say, Dad, your son was killed. And they pretended they were weeping with their dad. Their dad was absolutely horrified that his beloved son was gone. Joseph arrives in Egypt and is sold as a slave to a man by the name of Potiphar. Potiphar is the director and the captain of Pharaoh's guard. And he enters into service to Potiphar, and he, he serves Potiphar for a good 11 years. He begins as a simple slave, but he proves himself. He's, he really is an exceptional young man. He really is quite bright. He's quite smart, and he's uh, very organized. And next thing you know, Joseph becomes the personal servant of Potiphar and so distinguishes himself in that role that eventually he becomes the overseer over all of Potiphar's house and all of his possessions, all his property. Everything he owns is in Joseph's hands, including the protection of his wife. Joseph serves with great distinction. He's becoming a very handsome man. He's growing, he's gone broad, broad shoulders. And one day, Potiphar's wife, who sees this good-looking young man serving in her husband's household, she takes a shining to Joseph and tries to seduce him. Joseph has got a decision to make. Is he going to follow his base instincts or is he going to honor God by his actions and reactions? Well, if you know the story, you know that Joseph, in fact, runs away from the clutches of Potiphar's wife. He will not have any part of this. He will not sin against his God, and he certainly is not going to sin against his employer. The man who has entrusted so much to him, he cannot do this to Potiphar, and he certainly is not going to do it to Potiphar's wife. So Potiphar's wife now recognizes that she is in trouble. And rather than waiting for Joseph to tell her husband what happens, she gets one step ahead of Joseph and complains to her husband and says, this servant of yours, he tried to rape me. Potiphar has Joseph thrown into jail and you can imagine Joseph in jail saying, God, I'm trying to serve you. I'm trying to honor you. I'm trying to do things your way. I'm trying not to do anything that will bring disgrace on your name, God. How could you let this happen to me? Is that you this morning? Maybe you've gone through something similar to that, falsely accused. Joseph ends up in jail. And rather than going into a depression and rather than sulking, he decides he's going to just be the good man that he is. And so he just is a great man in jail. He's so great, in fact, that the warden of the prison puts him in charge of all the other prisoners. That's the kind of guy this Joseph is. Wherever he goes, he prospers, he does well. And while he's in prison, Pharaoh's, two of Pharaoh's servants, the cupbearer and the baker, they both 
have offended Pharaoh, and they are now both in prison. And while they're in prison, they have a dream. They each have a dream. And when they wake up, they say to each other, hey, I just had a dream last night. And the baker said, me too. And they tell each other what their dreams mean, and they start asking, does anybody here know what this, anybody understand how to interpret dreams? Anybody have that ability, that gift? And Joseph says, well, I can, I can, I can interpret your dreams for you. And so the cupbearer and the baker both tell Joseph what their dream is. And because the time is short, I can't get into that, but you can read about it yourself, Genesis chapter 37 to 48. And uh, at the end of them telling what they dreamt about, they say, Joseph, tell us now, what does all this mean? Well, to the chief cupbearer, Joseph said, you will be reinstated. You're going to get your position back. And the baker hears this thinking, oh, phew, everything's going to be okay. But then Joseph says to the baker, unfortunately for you, it's not, that's not going to be the case. In fact, you're not just going to stay in prison. I, I'm sorry to tell you, sir, but you are going to die. And that's exactly what happens. Joseph asks the cupbearer just before he's released from prison, would you please remember me to Pharaoh? Would you please tell Pharaoh what really happened? Would you tell Pharaoh I am innocent? Please don't forget about me. The cupbearer says, yes, thank you so much. Thank you for interpreting my dream. Thank you for your help. I will be sure to help you. But as soon as the cupbearer gets back into service to Pharaoh, he forgets all about Joseph. I mean, who's Joseph? What's Joseph? He's just a prisoner. Well, two years go by and Pharaoh has a dream. And nobody in Pharaoh's court is able to interpret what his dreams mean. And suddenly the cupbearer remembers, oh yeah, Joseph, he interpreted our dreams. So he says to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, I know somebody um, that is able to do this. He's able to interpret dreams. In fact, when I was in prison, and along with the baker, you'll remember, he, was, he interpreted our dreams and, and they, were, they were absolutely correct. So Pharaoh summons Joseph from the prison, and there's Joseph standing before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh tells the young man what his dreams are. Pharaoh dreamt that there were seven lean cows which devoured eight, seven fat cows. And in the other dream, seven withered ears of grain devoured seven fat ears of grain. Whereas Pharaoh's advisors were unable to interpret this dream, Joseph knew exactly what was going on. The Spirit of God spoke to his heart. Now, I just want you to quickly take a, take a snapshot here, folks, of what's going on. This young man, just a few years before, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, serving in the home of Potiphar, accused of rape, thrown into jail, and now he is standing before the most powerful man in the world. Wow. Joseph is beginning to recognize something's going on here that's way beyond me. God is at work here in ways that I, don't, I can't begin to understand. Joseph tells 
Pharaoh, here's what's going to happen, sir. Egypt is going to enjoy seven years of bumper crops, abundance like you have never seen before, sir. But what's going to follow those seven years of abundance is seven years of the worst famine the world has ever known. And Pharaoh believed them. And immediately, the prisoner is taken from the prison, from the very lowest of the lowest of the low in society, and he's put now second in command, just second to, to Pharaoh himself. Joseph must have wondered, wow, could this be the beginning of the fulfillment of those dreams I had when I was 17 years of age? He's 30 years old now, almost half of his life being in slavery or in prison. And now he's second in command in all of Egypt. He's given a wife of the highest nobility. He has two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And during those seven years of great abundance in the land, Joseph is very diligent in collecting every bit of grain that he can get his hands on. He stores it in every barn, every building, every granary, every silo, every pot, every can, anything he can get his hands on. He's filling it up with grain. And he had an abundance. And I'm sure some people thought, <laughs> Yeah, I wonder if Joseph was telling the truth. But then, then what happened after those seven years is that a famine came. A famine that was so severe that people were literally coming from other surrounding nations to Egypt to purchase grain from Pharaoh. In fact, the Bible says that all the people, all the inhabitants of Egypt ended up selling all of their land so that they could buy grain from Joseph. Pharaoh ended up owning all of Egypt. Joseph made Pharaoh filthy, filthy rich. In fact, probably in the history of humanity, nobody was ever richer than Pharaoh was during these years that Joseph made him rich. Eventually, Joseph's own brothers were desperate, and they too came to Egypt begging to buy food. The very ones that so cruelly threw Joseph into that pit and then sold him into slavery. And there... Joseph looks up and sees his very own brother standing there. The Bible says he was overcome with emotion. He had to go and hide himself because he began to weep. No doubt having a whole range of emotions. Thinking of his father that was alive when he left home. Thinking of his mother Rachel and his brother Benjamin. Thinking of his, his home. And then finally he comes face to face with his brothers, and I can't spend a lot of time on this one, but I can tell you this. Those brothers didn't recognize Joseph. 
It had been 13 years since they last saw him. He was just a boy when they sold him. Now he's a man. And not just any man. He's a man sitting on a throne. A man that is not in the clothes of a slave, but now he's in the finest robes that money can buy. The Bible says that Joseph had some fun with his brothers. He kind of terrorized them a little bit, made them suffer a little. But eventually he revealed himself. Eventually he made it clear who he is. To make a very, very long story just long, Joseph has his whole family join him in Egypt. And they stayed there for over 400 years until Moses led them out of Egypt. But I want you to notice something. Jacob did, in fact, come to Egypt, but he made, a prom- he made his sons promise him this, that when he died, he'd not be buried in Egypt, but that he'd be taken back to his homeland, to Canaan, the land of Abraham and Isaac. He did not want to stay in Egypt because Egypt was not his home. And you're going to see in a moment the significance of that. Now, for the last few weeks, we've been talking about the many tests that we all go through. If you are a human being, then you are being tested. You are being tested constantly. In fact, the Bible says that as Christians, you and I are going to be tested all the time. Our faith will be tested. The question is this, will we do God's will or will we do our will? Will I do what God wants me to do or will I do what I want to do? Will I please God or will I please myself? Will I follow God's plan, God's purposes, and God's will, or will I follow my purpose and my plan and my will? The thing that we see about Joseph is that he did God's will every time. He went through a number of tests, and I want to point out some of them to you today, and I want to show you how he passed those tests. And I'm praying that God will speak to us and encourage our spirit as we look at this great man of faith. But understand this. If you are calling yourself a Christian today, then understand that you need to do God's will and you need to do it every single time. To be a Christian means you're willing to say, yes, Lord, I will do what you want me to do. Yes, Lord. Well, there's six of us who are willing to do what God wants us to do. I thought there was a few more Christians in the room. Let's try it one more time. Yes, Lord, I will do what you want me to do. That's pretty good. Can we try it one more time? Yes, Lord. Excellent. Excellent. That's what it means to be a Christian. Did you know that Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple... You must deny yourself, that is, not do what you want to do. You must take up your cross and follow me. Jesus wants us to follow his example. So let's take a look at Jesus' life really quickly. We see Jesus beginning his earthly ministry doing what? Getting baptized and then being tempted. In fact, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. Did you hear that? Because some people think, when I'm going through tests, that's an attack of Satan. 
Satan does attack us when we're being tested, but the test, by the way, is God's will. God wants you to go through that time of testing. God does not tempt. He cannot tempt. But he will allow you to be tested. In fact, some of you are here this morning, and you are right smack dab in the middle of a big test in your life. It may be a relationship issue. It may be a financial issue. It might be a health issue, a business issue. Things aren't going well for you in your business or, or in, in your family right now. Maybe it's a marital. Maybe it's a problem with your kids. But you are smack dab in the middle of a test. And the question this morning is this. Are you going to do God's will or are you going to do your will? Because here's what I know about myself. When I am facing difficulty or struggle, the temptation for me is to do what makes me feel good. Sometimes that means being angry, maybe even wanting to lash out, maybe even wanting to get even. But that's not what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so we see Jesus at the beginning of his ministry being tested. He's sent into the wilderness. He's tempted by the enemy, by Satan himself. And here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that Jesus passed the test. He came through with flying colors. That's how he began his ministry. And then we fast forward three years to the end of his ministry, and we find Jesus once again being tested. The first time he's tested in the desert. The second time he's tested in the garden. We call it the Garden of Gethsemane. And he knows that before him is God's will, God's plan. And God's will, God's plan is that Jesus die on the cross for your sins and for mine. Because somebody has got to pay the price for our sin. And Jesus, who is without sin, he's perfect, he's got to make a decision. Is he going to carry through with this? Is he going to call the legions of heaven with their machine guns and... Let them all have it, all these bad people that want to kill him? Or will he say, Father, not my will, but thine be done? Well, you know the story. He says, yes, Lord, I will do whatever you want me to do. This is what it means to be a Christian. Father, not my will, but thine be done. Can we say that together? Father, not my will, but thine be done. Father, not my will, but yours be done. That was Joseph. Father, not my will, but yours be done. You may be in the middle of a test right now and asking God, why? Why, God? Why do I have to go through this? Why must I experience this? Why, why do I have to struggle like this? Maybe you're sitting here thinking, well, Pastor, I heard once that once I became a Christian, everything was going to be just great. I wouldn't have any more problems. I heard the TV preachers promise me that if I just gave my heart to Jesus, everything would be sunshine and roses, and I'd never have another problem. I'm going to tell you, that is such a childish and immature understanding of our faith and of how God works in our life. All through your life, my friends, you are being tested. In fact, Jesus understanding that we're constantly going to be tested, he teaches us to pray every day, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What's Jesus telling us to, to pray? He's saying, 
when you pray, when you're asking God for help, when you're petitioning God, pray, God, when I'm going through the test, help me not to give in to temptation. Jesus teaches us that because he understands that that's what all of us are going to face. You're going to face temptation. Now, can I just explain to you for a moment what temptation actually is? Because we all will be tested. Here's the temptation. The temptation is to do what I want to do. The temptation is to react the way I want to react. The temptation is to take matters into my own hands. The temptation is to do things my way. That's the temptation. Joseph refused to give in to temptation. In the middle of his testing, he refused to do things his way. He was committing to doing things God's way. So let's just take a look at some of these tests because we're all going to face them. The question is, will you deal with them? Will you handle them the way God wants you to? The first test that Joseph has is this. He is thrown into a pit, then sold into slavery. That's the first test. What will he do? Will he abandon his God and say, God, you let me down, so I'm going to let you down? God, you failed me, so now I'm going to fail you? God, you didn't help me in my hour of need, so... I'm moving on to a different God, or I'm, I'm abandoning God altogether. Some of you maybe are in that place right now. You're, you're saying, man, I'm praying, and God's not answering my prayer. I'm in difficulty, so I'm just packing it in. I'm not going to bother with this anymore. Understand this. You're in the middle of a test. And God wants you to come through with flying colors because there's something that you need to learn with Joseph, I think the thing he needed to learn was a little bit of humility. Imagine going around telling your brothers, you bow down to me. I'm the best in the family. Dad loves me the most. I'm the greatest in this family. There's no one like me. God needed to allow Joseph to go through some pretty severe testing to teach him a little bit of humility. And that is important, by the way, because if you're not humble, you're not walking with God. Nobody who is proud can walk with God. Nobody who's arrogant can walk with God. And so God allows us to go through some of these difficulties. And guess what? Joseph passed that test. He didn't give up on God. He held on to God. In the midst of the rejection by his family and being sold into slavery, he held on to God and said, no, God's still my God. Are you willing to say that today? In the midst of your difficulty and struggle, I'm not letting go of God. God's still my God. I still love God, and I know he loves me. Are you willing to do that today? There's another test. This is something all of us face. Do you think he wasn't sad and feeling pretty miserable? He was a free man up until he was 17. He was a free man, the favored son of his father. He had whatever he wanted. He could go where he wanted. He could do as he pleased. But now he's not a free man. He belongs to somebody else. And in his sadness and his misery, would he become lazy and despondent? Would he just say, ah, what's the use in trying? I'm just going to give up. There's no point. 
Have you ever done that? I know I felt like that. Things are going difficult. It's like, ugh, I've washed my hands. I'm done. I can't be bothered with this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. I can't stand this anymore. I've given my heart, my life, my soul, and look how I'm being treated. There's no point even trying anymore. He could have done that, but he doesn't. Because he's a great man, a great man of faith. And because he's a great man of faith, he's going to continue to be a great man. Regardless of the circumstances, he's not going to let sadness or misery or despair overwhelm him and change who he is fundamentally. How often we've allowed our sadness, our misery, our despair to change who we are. Wherever Joseph went, whether he's in a pit, sold into slavery, working for Potiphar, in jail, he's a great man. He's immediately pushed to the top of the heap. He's the leader wherever he goes. He refuses to succumb. Maybe you're in the pits of despair this morning. I'm going to tell you this morning, in the name of Jesus, step out of your pit of despair and remember who your God is. Say with Job, who lost everything, I know that my Redeemer liveth. That's what you need to say today. Don't give in to despair. Don't give in to sadness and despondency. Don't give in. But remember who your God is. Joseph did. There's another test that came along. Would he compromise his standard? He's in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's away. He's away a lot. His wife is lonely. Can't you just see his reason and his logic turning? Well, you know, I'm a servant. I'm a slave. I need to take care of my master, and I need to take care of his wife. Make her happy. What, what harm could that do? I'm 28 years old. I don't have a wife. What harm could it do? It's amazing, my friends, how Satan can get a hold of your logic and twist it and get you to believe that whatever way you're going, regardless if it's wrong and sinful, he can make you believe that you're on the right track and whatever you're doing is okay. Maybe you're one of those people here today. You've been living in a way you know is contrary to the word of God. You know it's against God's will. But you have allowed your reason and your logic to be twisted by the enemy so that you're willing to say yes to Satan. And you're saying no to God. Satan is crafty. He's brilliant, actually. Jude tells us that. In fact, Jude says, don't mess with the devil. Because he's very smart, very capable. What you need to do is you need to say, the Lord rebuke you. Rather than giving in, compromising his standards, rather than allowing Potiphar's wife to seduce him, he runs away. And I think that Joseph is smart enough to know that Potiphar's wife will probably end up accusing him which is exactly what happened. But Joseph is not willing to compromise his holiness, his standards. He passed that test. And you think, oh, good, he passed the test. God will reward him for that. Yes, God rewarded him for that. He went to jail. 
Great reward, God. Thank you. I do the right thing, and you, you allow me to be thrown into jail. You know, th this is a thing that you and I need to understand. Things don't always work out the way we expect them to do. But listen, does that mean then that we should compromise our standards so that things work out the way we want them to work out? You need to remember where Joseph's trail, where his path is going. His path leads to the highest office in the land. If he had in any way compromised his standards, he would not have ended up here before Pharaoh. Just remember that. Remember that the next time you make a decision. Remember that God has got a plan for your life and you need to do the right thing every time. Joseph passed the test. And then when he finally comes into the court of Pharaoh and actually sits second in command. He's got untold wealth at his disposal. He's got the nicest garments, the nicest home, the nicest property, chariots, guards, money, wealth, every luxury that you could imagine and the luxuries you couldn't imagine. You would think, well, maybe now Joseph will forget about his God. Isn't that interesting? We either forget God when we have nothing or we forget God when we have everything. How many people have left third world countries and immigrated to Canada and only to have such wealth here that they end up forgetting God? It happens all the time. They pray, God, make it possible for me to come to Canada to settle in this great land. Make it possible, oh God, for me to be accepted. And once they get here, they forget about the God that they prayed to. But not Joseph. He had it all. But he doesn't forget about God. And it says this in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22. It was by faith that Joseph, when he was about to die, he said confidently that the people of Israel would leave Egypt. Did you hear that? He's got no intentions of staying in Egypt. He doesn't want his people to stay in Egypt. Why? Because he knows the promise that God made to his father, his great-grandfather, his great-great-grandfather. He even commanded them to take his bones with them when they left. No. Whether in poverty would Joseph reject God or in wealth would he reject God. He remained true. Some of you are wondering why you're struggling financially. And the question is this, can God trust you? Have you been passing the test? You wonder, why, did I not, why do I not have money in my pocket? Why do I not have money in my bank account? Why is it that I, I'm always having trouble financially? Or maybe you're one of those people that say, you know, as soon as I get this paid off, or as soon as I have that kind of money in my pocket, as soon as I start making this much money, then I'm going to start to tithe, then I'm going to start to give, then I'm going to start supporting the work of God. And there's a reason why God's not answering your prayers. Because you... Don't have the faith to believe him and do what he says. God's called you as his very own to support and advance his kingdom. You're, you're stingy with when it comes to the kingdom of God. And we see in Joseph a man of great faith, poor or rich, he's doing God's will no matter what. And then we come to this final test. And this is a test that every one of us can especially relate to today. Would he hold a grudge against his brothers? 
I mean, if anybody deserved to be treated badly, it was, it was those brothers. I mean, they were going to kill him. And they sold him into slavery. Will Joseph now get even with his brothers? The Bible says the brothers were, were terrified that when dad dies, Joseph is going to let us have it. He's, he's going to kill us. We're, we're, we're done. They're terrified. They live under this constant cloud of fear and worry and terror when dad dies. They're doing everything in their power to keep dad alive. The Bible says he lived to 156, so they did a good job. But when dad dies, are we through? Finally, they, in the midst of their great fear, they went to Joseph and really begging for their lives. Joseph, we're so sorry. Please don't hurt us. Please don't harm us. We deserve death, but please, please, please. And here's what it says in Genesis 50, verse 19. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? And then this is what he says. And man, this is mature. And this is insight that comes right from heaven. He says, as for you, you guys, you meant evil against me. But I understand there's a greater power at work in my life. Now let the Spirit of God speak to our hearts this morning. There's a greater power at work in your life. And God's got the final word if you are his son or his daughter. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Wow! What amazing faith. What an amazing faith that Joseph had. He saw God's hand at work in his life. And that's a problem with us, isn't it? That so often we get our eyes fixed on the circumstances or the people involved in the circumstances and we don't see the bigger plan. We don't see that God has got something good in store for us. There may be short-term pain, but folks, there is eternal gain. What is God doing in your life today? How are you being tested today? You know what I've discovered? So many people, and the minute they start having troubles, the first thing they do is they stay away from church. Why is that? They run away from God. They stop praying. They stop reading their Bible. They stop hanging out with believers. They go through a time of testing. They go through a time of temptation. They maybe fail. And the first thing they do is they want to run away from God rather than running to God. God is your Father. He loves you. He cares about you. And he's got something special for you to do, a special assignment. Joseph at the age 17, is having dreams of people bowing down to him, not knowing that it wasn't about him being a great man, not about him being second in command in the world, but it was about him saving the world. Let God speak to you right now because God wants to use you. He wants to do something great in your life and through your life. And the times of testing that you're going through right now are the very things that God needs to put you through in order to shape you and to purify you and make you into the person he wants you to be.
Because if you are a Christian today, here's what I can guarantee you're going to experience on a regular basis. The writer of Psalms says, and maybe you could read it with me, you have tested us, O God. You have purified us like silver. This is the life of the Christian. You are going to be tested and tried until you die. I'm 55, and uh, I know I don't look a day over 54. <laughs> I'm still being tested. In fact, the tests seem harder today than they were when I was 20. The tests just keep rolling along. And I can tell you I passed a lot of tests, but sometimes I fail the test, and God's got to put me through it again. I can tell you right now, I hate being retested. I hate having to be tested more than once on the same thing. Anybody know what I'm talking about today? I don't want to keep being tested on the same thing, but that's a fact of the matter for all of us. You are going to be tested. And the question is today, are you going to pass the test? Are you going to become the man, the woman that God wants you to become? Let's stand together, shall we, as we pray? By the way, Joseph Joseph is a great man of faith. He's a great man of faith because he believed God and he did whatever God said. The thing that was so thrilling about Joseph is not that he became the second most powerful man in the world. The thing about Joseph is that he saved the world. You know, in our culture, our society, the thing that we value is the money, is the fame, the fortune, the position. And this is not what matters. The, ma the thing that matters is, are you making a difference in your world? Are you saving the world? Because that's what God wants to do through you. You may not be able to save the whole world, but there's somebody in your neighborhood, in your family, that needs you to step up so that they can be saved. Oh, and by the way, Joseph's father and mother and all his brothers did bow down to him. Let's pray. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy, your compassion and love. Thank you, God, for what you want to do in our lives. God, some of us right now are going through some really severe testing. But we thank you today, God, for your grace and your strength through your Holy Spirit who helps us get through these tests. And God, we don't want to fail any more tests. We want to mature. We want to go on to the next level in our walk with you. So Father, we pray for grace right now to say yes to you every time. We want to be men and women of faith who believe you and who do what you say. And we pray that in Jesus' name. And everyone said it? Tell the person beside you, go believe God and do what he says.